Our Bible reading this morning is from the first letter of John, chapter 2, reading verses 28 and 29 and going on into chapter 3, verse 3, and then down further in chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. First John, chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. When I was four or five years old, maybe you can think back to when you were a kid, about four or five, and remember what you wanted to be when you grew up. Is that who you are now? Is it what you want to be now? When I was four or five, I wanted to be a policeman, and the reason was that I wanted to carry a gun, one thing, and I could also lock my brothers up in prison. So let's do another one. I was going through a phase, but to my, my four-year-old self, that was a very appealing thing. And I found out that that's not actually true. I can't just lock anyone I want up. But my interests changed, and so my job aspirations followed that sort of theme. So I was interested in music. So I wanted to be a music teacher or a musician, or I love sports, especially soccer or cricket, be a player in one of those, especially for Australia, or a soccer referee. My interests went all over the place. I wanted to join the defence force, back to the police force, through to psychology, counselling, you name it. There are a million different things that I wanted to do. Very confusing for someone who's trying to choose a degree at 17 or 18 years of age. You may be like me and having a million different things that you want to do, or maybe you're one of those annoying people who knows exactly what they want to do. I'm not one of those people. But as I reflect on all of these job aspirations and things I wanted to do, I realised that they changed because of my circumstances or because of things that I enjoyed or liked at that time in my life. But today, as we open up 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at a three-word image that John wraps around our relationship with God. And this image is a beautiful one. But as we grasp our relationship with God, we realise that this is actually a defining thing about who we are. 
This is actually a matter of identity. And this identity, unlike job aspirations, unlike your answers to this question that change uh, based on what you like at the time, this identity is something that will never change depending where you are, what you're doing, or what you like. This is something that is always true. Now, if you have your Bible, 1 John 3 is where we're going, so you can open up with me as well. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called, and here it is, children of God. That is who we are, that is our relationship, and that is something that we can embrace as part of our identity. So that's what we're going to unpack this morning. But before we push further into the passage and what John wants to unpack for us and how to live as children of God, I just want to dispel any confusion that there might be. Because if you're hearing this for the first time, that we are children of God, you very rightfully may be confused. Because it is a weird thing to claim to be the daughter or the son of, of a deity. Um, I agree, that's strange. The only other place I can think of that coming around is within Greek mythology, where Greek gods come down to earth, have children with humans, and then that child would be like a, like a demigod, half god, half human, son of a god. Hercules is one of those. Percy Jackson, the lightning thief, is another one. So that's just one example of how we can be son of God, but that's not what we're talking about here when we say we're children of God. We're not depicting a physical relationship, but we're just wrapping words around our spiritual relationship with God. And the, the nature of it being a spiritual relationship means that we weren't always children of God. So when we were born and when we were young, before we came to faith, we were not children of God. But when we received Christ, when he forgave us of all our sins and we received everything that he has on offer, we also received a part of God in us. Now, Romans 8, I think Paul wonderfully sums it up in Romans 8.15. A part of God that we receive is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into us, I'm just going to read what Paul writes. He says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We're children of God not because, not because we earned it or because we did something, but because God's Spirit is in us. God is in us, and we are His. So we're going to unpack this. John has three really clear instructions on how to live as a child of God, live out this truth, to walk in this truth. But before we get to that, I just want to pray. So will you join me? Yeah? Heavenly Father, we want to welcome you right now. God, would you just soften our hearts as our ears and our eyes and our minds are just attending to you. God, you know us so much more abundantly than we even know ourselves. So we pray, would you just impart wisdom? Would you impart truth? And would you help us to grasp what it is to be your child, not just on an intellectual or cognitive level, but we'd just grasp it in our heart and would our spirit just be resonating in harmony with yours, that we are your children and we can declare that you are our loving, gracious God. Thank you for this and we want to press into this. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have your Bible, 1 John 3 is where we're going. I want to channel my inner Steve Bates here and throw a little bit of translation shade like he did last week. But this first phrase of 1 John 3, first sentence, doesn't quite get at what John was trying to say. Because the words here are, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now you might notice, I did put in there, there's an exclamation mark there. And that's because this sentence is actually a command, an instruction on what to do. But that first word, I don't think, really captures what it means to be instructed to look toward God. If we take that word see back into the Greek, we'll find a word that is in the form of an aorist uh, imperative, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a command word. Now, if we go to another translation, such as the KJV or several other versions, we'll find the word behold instead of see. And I think this one, this captures what John is trying to say. 
behold the love of God that he's lavished on us, that we are children of God. And this leads us into our first instruction we receive. As children of God, John is telling us that we need to behold our Father and then receive from him his gift. Behold our Father and receive from him his gift. When I was leading into Leading into Christmas, God gave me just this image of, of how, how to relate to God or something just weighing on my mind as I was stepping into Christmas of how he is uh, my father. And I want to kind of reenact it. It was the image or, or the scenario of a father who would be, who would be God in this situation, um, who was just kneeling down, bending down uh, with his arms spread wide open. Uh, and right in front of him is his child. And this child is of that toddler age or a little bit I know, a little bit younger than toddler, where they're not really walking yet, but they're doing like the falling walk, right? We're at that stage, and they're not under full control of where they're going. But God is right there, spreading his arms, wanting that child to come so that he can, you can picture the moment, right? When the kid comes and he embraces that child. Can you see the love in that, in that picture there? Well, this is the love that God has invited every single one of us into and something that we can accept. We can choose to not come, but we can also choose to come and receive our adoption into sonship. But when we do it, not only do we experience what it is to be loved by our Father, but we can also behold Him. That's what we've been doing. As we sung these words, Great are you, Lord. What a wonderful song, by the way. Uh, we are just declaring, we are beholding the greatness of our God. And when we talk about God being our Father, it's an amazing truth But we need to remember who our God is to realize the significance that we are his children and how crazy that is. You can describe many different words to describe our God. One of my favorite is creator. It's one of the most simple, but it contains so much truth. He's the one who made you. He's the one who made the people within your row in this room. He's the one who made, go outside and you'll find things all over the place that he's made. Go all over our nation, world, and you will find things that he has made. He has made everything. Go further into our solar system. Go into our galaxy. Go beyond our galaxy to the galaxies beyond. Go to the ones that we can't even see, and this is what our God has made. Our infinite God is intimately personal. He's our intimate Father. That's who he is. He's the one who's chiseled out the world, pieced it together, put us together, and he's the one who cares and loves, lavishes his love all over us. So it's this image uh, I get of, of a hug, an embrace. I found a photo over here. I'm going to use some props, physical, but they're also going to come up on the screen behind me. And this is the, the hug or embrace that I, that I see. Now, if I could change one thing about this picture, one thing, that would be that this child would look up into the eyes of the father just there and would see how much love the father has for that child. Because as children of God, we are called to behold that love that we receive as he adopts us as his children. I've got a picture here, so it might be a little small, but it's going to be there when the slides change. The first thing we are to do is behold, and that's not just to see or embrace, but it's to recognize something that is great, recognize and to observe something that is wonderful, and God's love definitely fits that criteria. So after we behold, we need to receive this gift, because if you, if you read this phrase again, and let's, let's put in the word behold just for now, the first phrase says, behold the great love of the Father, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. As you, as you read that, do you get a feeling of like, astonishment or almost surprise? 
Because as I read, I get that feeling, right? He's going, behold what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. It's almost a sense of, wow, this is an absolutely amazing truth that is so astonishing. And there's got to be this reaction of almost, almost disbelief, but not disbelief. Because it is an amazing truth, because it's the grace of God and it's something we don't receive. It's a gift. It's not something we can earn. But right after he says that we are the children of God, he's making sure that we aren't astonished so much that we disbelieve. He wants to make sure we are astonished, understand it's grace. But after he says we're children, he says, that is what we are to reinforce that we are assured. Behold our Father, we'll be assured that this is true. It is a great gift, but it's not too good to be true. It's an amazing gift from God. So as we receive this truth, John, he reminds us that as children of God, we have to guard this identity, we have to protect it. Because there is someone who tries to convince us or try to twist lives or, or trick us into not fully grasping what it is to be a child of God or not fully pressing into it and walking in that truth. John, he likes to speak in either ors. He likes to teach in either ors. You are either doing things that are good or you're doing things that are evil. You can go and look in his gospel. He does that a fair bit. But in this context of children of God, there is an either or. Either we are children of God or we are children of the devil. We read about it just then. We are children of God or children of the devil. And that can be a confronting thing to hear. But do rest assured, as John was saying, we are children of God with his spirit inside of us. But we need to recognize the two forces that are playing against each other. And they don't just disagree, but they are in severe conflict. They are in spiritual warfare, the words that we might use to, to understand it. Now, the way that I would understand it is by using something like this. Pretty small, so you may not recognize what it is, but pretend it's a tug-of-war rope. And right in the middle, when you're doing a tug-of-war, you're not fighting over the rope, like you might assume that in the name, but you're not fighting for the rope, you're fighting for the little red thing in the middle, the thing that indicates where the rope is up to. You're fighting over the rope. Now, on this rope, we have God who's down one end. He's holding and he's pulling this end. But down the other end, the nature of this spiritual warfare is that as children of God, we're right in the middle of God and the enemy. So while God is pulling us and drawing us into an intimate relationship with him, the enemy is trying to do everything to distract us, to confuse us, and to pull us away from God. And maybe you can already think of, of ways that the, the enemy has pulled you away from God. And I hope that you can remember some times, or maybe right now, where God is pulling you closer to him. This tug that's going on. And as a child of God, we are instructed to be on guard against this. To be aware of it and to cut it out of our lives and to depend on God to rest in his arms when we are being tugged the wrong way. Now John, he uses some illustrations on what it means to, to cut out the things of the enemy that enter our lives and pull us or distract us away from God. So if you've got your Bible, jump back into chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read a few verses there. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, they pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. In this case, we're not, we're not talking about the devil and God. Instead, he's using this image of the world. And when we talk about the world, we're not talking about people, you and me, because we are called to love people, for sure. We're talking about rebellion against God in a broad sense. So do not love things that have been made or been brought about through rebellion against God. Things such as, and he gives us three examples, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Three pretty 
pretty big ways where the devil tries to pull us away from God or distract us from God. When our mind isn't fixed on Jesus, isn't fixed on the truth, our mind then gets pulled the wrong way. And when that happens, you lose that intimacy with God. Sometimes that tug is really obvious. Like maybe you felt that tug and it's really obvious, but that tug can be quite subtle at times. And we aren't called to just change something that we notice, but we're told to be on guard. We're told to be aware, seeking out these things where we're being tugged the wrong way and to cut it out in that moment, to seek out those tiny ones, those tiny little pulls. So later on in chapter 3, verse 7, John writes, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. And this concept of astray means away from the truth. And we know who the truth is. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said a a guy named Jesus. That's who we're being led astray by when we're tugged in the wrong direction. But the instruction is do not let. So we have a choice in this. Do not let yourself be led astray. Be aware of it and cut it out. I was talking to someone after the first service uh, who was was talking about this image of the tug of war and just resonating with the fact that it can be something quite small. It sneaks in there, such as... You know, movies and what we fill our attention with. Like, they're not necessarily bad things, but when we fill our attention so much with YouTube or Netflix or Stan or whatever you use, that can easily become an distraction, distraction from the truth. That can easily become something that we don't even notice, right? We don't even notice is bad, but it becomes something that takes our time and our focus away from Jesus. And as children of God, what we need to do is to be active, to be proactive in noticing this and removing it. To run from that lie, flee from that evil and seek the truth. To abide in his arms, to be embraced by our Father who is protector. And as children of God, we know we live in the now but not yet. So we do know that the arms that we're held by are victorious. In Jesus' death and his resurrection, he's shown, he's one over death. He is victor. So we rest in his arms. We know the totality of God's victory will be realized in eternity. That is to come. So we live still in a broken world where we do have these tugs and these pulls. So as children of God, we have to be aware of that and we have to be proactive in fleeing from those lies and seeking the truth. John uses words such as continue, abide, walk within the truth, in Jesus. Seek him. And the final but not least instruction that we're given as children of God in this chapter is to be actively Christ-like. Now hopefully it's not a foreign concept to you that just believing something is very different to living that out and actually doing something. Hopefully that's not a strange concept to you. Think of someone who you look up to, someone whose, whose faith or life you admire. Right? I look up to probably my youth leaders or my, my youth pastor when I was in youth. And maybe you're like me, maybe someone who you look up to The reason you look up to them isn't because they had really good beliefs. It's not because they believed well or what they believed was right, but it's because what they did resonated with those beliefs. Their actions were an outpouring of who they were, an outpouring of their heart. So we're not called just to believe. We are. God draws us close. He pulls so that we come. But but we're not just called to believe. As children of God, we need to live in line with our Father, to imitate our Father. When I was a young'un, I don't know how old I was. This fellow, my dad, he had a name for me. He gave me Ben, yeah, but he had a nickname for me. And that is his shadow. That's what he used to call me. The reason he used to call me this was because I used to follow him everywhere he went. I used to do what he did, and I would do it when he did it. He goes out the back to garden, I'd go and help, and I was probably pretty useless. So I looked around for some photos, and I found some. So I found this photo of us knocking down our old cubby house. 
This is me and my dad. We're knocking down our old cubby house, I think. Look at that. He's laughing at me. He's got the same facial expression as now. I'm probably trying to put it back up while he's knocking it down. You can see in this image, imitating my dad, I didn't go out there to knock down a cubby house. I'd be pretty useless at that. I went out to spend time with my dad. And what happens when I spend time with him? I start to do what he's doing. I start to imitate his actions. I start to at least pretend to do something useful. And the same is true for God. We're not pretending, though. We are walking in, in light of our relationship with God. When we seek intimacy, when we spend that time, when we abide in him, in the truth, in the scripture, in his presence, our actions start to imitate his. Our desires for the world start to align with his. If we flick over to, to chapter 3, verse 22, where we're given this really cool verse, where it says that we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now, it sounds like a really cool truth, right? I can pray for whatever I want, and that's going to be answered no matter what. could be one mentality, but that's not what he's getting at, as long as you believe. That's not what, that's not what John is getting at. He's saying that as we, as we seek this intimacy and as we abide in God, the reason that our prayers will become answered is because our desires for the world and what we are praying for will be aligned with Christ. Through intimacy with him, we will begin to imitate him and be like him, like his children, because he is in us. There's this element that we are being changed, we are being refined. Someone mentioned uh, the refining fire. Sometimes it's not fun, um, sometimes it is painful, but there's this refinement process as we become to look like Jesus more and more. We do have to, in light of that truth, as we refine, acknowledge that we are only children of a holy God. We aren't a holy God ourselves. So when we attempt to be like Christ, when we seek to live a life that resembles his, we're not always going to get it crash hot perfect. When I read the gospel, sometimes I'm reminded of this, probably a bit more often than I care to admit, I'm reminded of how fallen I am and how far I am from perfectly imitating Christ. As I read, specifically, he's led by the Spirit so much (laughs) throughout the gospel, in case you didn't know, Uh, but his amazing obedience when he's led astonishes me. He's led to the desert, to these people, to this conversation, to do this, to say this, whatever it is, but he steps out in obedience. And I don't know if you're like me, have you felt God prompting you to pray for someone? Or maybe bring up a difficult conversation? Something that's not easy? Because I have, and sometimes I shy away from those conversations or those things. And when I do that, John uses the words, our hearts condemn us. What, What does it mean when our hearts condemn us? And the thing is, when I don't fulfill that perfect Christ-likeness, my heart can start to condemn me. And unlike Satan's accusations, they're actually true, right? That I am not Christ, that my actions haven't perfectly imitated Christ. But we can go two ways with that. We can either say, the fact that I'm not like Christ is proof that I never will be, or it's proof that I'm not his child. And that's a dangerous path to go down. But as we seek to imitate Christ and as we don't get it perfect, the other choice is that we rest in his arms. We acknowledge that he's the one who changes us. He's the one who empowers us and refines us. So when we look at those times where we've gone and God has asked us to pray for someone and we've shied away out of fear or doubt or whatever it is, let's, let's not use those times as, as proof that we're not children of God because we are no matter what our circumstances are. Instead, let's use that time where God has spoken to you and celebrate the fact that your father has chosen you, that he is your child and he is speaking to you and he wants to use you. Not excuse for inaction, definitely. We need to use that inaction now as something that spurs action and to abide in him so he then spurs us into action. But as a dependence on God as he refines us into his likeness as his children. So which of these three stand out to you? 
God has rested these three images uh, on my mind throughout the last five or six months, and they've been significant to me. Um, hopefully, something is significant to you in here as well. But are you over here wanting to either behold the greatness of our God, behold his love and his character, or maybe conversely, do you want to be, do you need to be beheld wherever you are? Do you need to be held in his arms to receive it? receive what he has on offer. Or maybe you're here and you feel the tug. Feel the tug of the Father, but sometimes you feel a massive tug from the enemy. But we're in the arms of a Father who protects. The Father who is the victor. So when we rest in his arms, he will bring victory. He will destroy those things. But we need to come and abide in him as he does that. Or we're over here wanting to imitate Christ as best we can, but possibly falling short. And again, we need to abide in him, abide in his truth, abide in his presence, abide in Jesus, so that he's the one who refines our character into his likeness, not what we think he looks like, but into who he is. It's such an important truth to grasp that we are his children who are held by him, called to protect it, and also to live it. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you first and foremost that you are an amazing, gracious, loving God in making us your children. That's just a single expression of the vastness and the greatness of your love. So Father, as as we think about who you are as our Father God, would you help us to just behold, behold you, to look into your eyes and to see the love that you have for us, to see the grace that you've poured out on us, to acknowledge the truth that we are gifted this adoption into your family. And you seek that closeness. And God, uh, I know that some of us here might be feeling this need to be held right now. Life is turbulent or whatever whatever reason it is. God, would would you just bring a real tangible sense as your spirit just descends? God, would you uh, just bring this feeling that we are held? Would you just hold us as your children? Would we experience that faithfulness and that dependence and that protection? And God, as we feel the tugs of the enemy pulling us, whether they're big or small, God, would you give us the eyes to notice them and and the heart? and the passion to cut them out. And God, we don't do this in our own strength, so we depend on you, God. Would you strengthen us, and would you protect us as we live this life in the now but not yet? And Father, as we try to live, as we desire to live like you in this world, God, would you continue to refine us? Lord, we abide in you, we rest in you. So God, would you transform transform our lives, our character, our desires into your likeness? Because, Father, you are our Father and we are your children. And it's an amazing privilege to to recognize that truth. So we thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.